Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast. Today for episode 224, what are some common errors that people make when learning how to self-custody? Should you use multi-signature? Rodolfo Novak of CoinKite joins me on the show to discuss this and more. This show brought to you by Swan. In their effort to spread Bitcoin knowledge and awareness, Swan is giving away a free book, Inventing Bitcoin, rated 4.9 stars by Swan co-founder Jan Pritzker. To get your free ebook or audiobook of Inventing Bitcoin, go to swanbitcoin.com slash freebook. All Swan asks is that you pay it forward. Share the book with at least three family and friends. And if you join the Swan Force at swanbitcoin.com slash enlist, you'll get a special link to the free copy of Inventing Bitcoin that will help you recruit new Bitcoiners. You can share the book with anyone, and if they eventually start stacking with Swan, you'll get credit for that referral. So it's a great deal. Spread Bitcoin knowledge and Swan Bitcoin, the best and safest way to start accumulating Bitcoin. So go to swanbitcoin.com slash freebook to get your free copy of Inventing Bitcoin by Jan Pritzker. This show also brought to you by Unchained Capital, building Bitcoin-native financial services on a foundation of multi-signature. Their multi-sig vaults are designed for ultra-secure long-term storage and have no setup or storage fees if you build them on your own. If you want the white glove treatment, their team will teach you all about multi-signature, ship you hardware wallets, answer all of your questions, then deposit $1,000 of Bitcoin in your vault through their concierge service. And once your Bitcoin are secured in multi-sig, you can buy Bitcoin through their OT. OTC desk for purchases $50,000 or higher into your new vault, which is great for self-directed Bitcoin retirement accounts and for companies moving Bitcoin to treasury. Their advanced business accounts, OTC desk and concierge service can also help move your corporate treasury to Bitcoin, where your team controls the private keys. No more counterparty risk for corporate Bitcoin. And finally, friends don't let friends sell Bitcoin. So Unchained Capital offers Bitcoin collateralized loans with unparalleled security via multisig. Check them out and enter code LEVERA when ordering a concierge onboarding service to get $50 off. That's $1,450 for two new Trezor Model Ts, white glove onboarding, and $1,000 of Bitcoin, all in a new multi-signature vault. Check out their website, unchained-capital.com, for more info. This show also brought to you by Knox, a Bitcoin custodian dedicated to ensuring their insurance protection covers the full value of their customers' assets. For example, suppose a fiduciary wants to hold $250 million of Bitcoin with Knox. Knox will seek to obtain $250 million of insurance dedicated exclusively to that account and adjustable to volatility. No fractional coverage or narrow scope. Insurance for what it's worth. A tool to transfer risk. If you are a Bitcoin company, investment fund, trust, or family office, check out Knox for your insured custody. KnoxCustody.com. Here's the interview. Rodolfo, welcome back to the show. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. So Rodolfo, there's been uh, a lot of advancement and development uh, in you know the recent year or so. We have a lot more advancement around, you know, obviously multi-signature also. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that. I know you have been publicly sort of not anti-multi-sig, but just more cautious to say that it's more for the advanced users and things like that. So I guess what's your current thinking on that idea and at what point do you think it becomes let's say accessible for let's let's say the intermediate user right um so i think i i finally sort of like have this more uh um clear mantra now is if you have to ask you shouldn't use it right because 
it doesn't mean you can't learn and, and, you, and you can't do it. You, you totally can, but you're just not ready to use it right now. Right. And, and I, and I think a lot of people get caught up in this purgatory between Coinbase, right. And, and these ultra paranoid setups that you have to be an expert. Right. So then they end up just staying on Coinbase out of fear. So what I'm trying to sort of like uh, like get people on to do now uh, is to is to get the basics right. Actually, that <laughs> that goes well with that link I just talked about. It actually goes right on this. So uh, I created this this quick little sort of uh, very very basic rundown of what you should do. It's a Bitcoin security dog guide. Okay. So essentially, all I'm asking is. Uh, no matter where you want to go and how far you want to go in the security rabbit hole, okay, get your coins off exchanges, but do that in a safe, secure, and sort of like a very sort of sane way, right? So what I'm saying is you essentially, uh, you set up a, a cold card hard wallet, you set up a metal backup seed, okay? You make a backup seed in metal, because I hear the horror stories uh, from support. And, uh, and then you make a couple microSD encrypted backups just so you have easy recoverability, right? So what happens here is if you have a very basic backup, okay, uh, uh, and you have a basic setup that's on a hardware wallet, like fairly secure, tested, right? Now you can sleep at night, okay? Yeah, you don't have the most sort of like anti-fragile system in the world, but against 99% of all the attack surface, all the stuff out there, okay, you, you're safe against, right? So, so now you can go and sort of research multi-sig. You can research services that offer multi-sig. You can research a uh, 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 very complex uh, multi-sig setups that that like truly remove trust from from each of the legs, uh, and uh, and you know you, you can continue your journey, right? But but like at least you're not stuck. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think it is about progressively taking a person up the levels of security. Uh, I suppose someone might say, "Well, hold on. What about if 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 they just get to a certain level and they and they haven't been kind of taught that hey, you need to keep improving your level of security and then and maybe that's where someone like a Michael Flaxman might be coming back and saying, "Well, hold on. Aren't aren't you leaving yourself vulnerable there to let's say the retirement attack? That let's say lots of people just trust one hardware wallet manufacturer and, you know, that manufacturer might have uh, put in some kind of deterministic seed generation that the user is unaware of that kind of thing um so i suppose that's probably the main counter is something like that but ultimately at the end of the day you still just have to improve your security and uh focus on that yeah um, so and 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 i totally get where he's coming from right because that's kind of like where cold kite came from like i just couldn't trust anything else I totally get that 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 issue that he has, right? Uh, it's fair. Now, I I can't speak for the other wallets, but like we build code cards so you don't have to trust us, right? Period, right? Uh, so much so that like we just recently released this guide on how to prove to yourself, right? Verify it uh, and duplicate the the dice rolls, right? So you're not trusting our silicon, period. <laughs> 
Okay, so it, it really is the the last sort of like boundary of tin foil there that you can go uh, um, in 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 regards to our hardware, right? So the retirement uh, attack is is like not possible, right? If you duplicate the math on the dice rolls in a in a separate device. Yeah, so let's talk a little bit about that. So I saw the video, you've got the rolls.py. Can you just talk through what would that process look like? Let's say the user wants to do this. Now, let's just note, this is more of an advanced user function. It's not everyone who can do this, but maybe if you could just talk through what it looks like. Right, okay. So so the idea here is, I'll be very sort of simple in, in explanation. Uh, so the idea here is, right? So on cold card, you don't have to use our random number generator to create your seed, right? Uh, even though the, the math is good, the, the thing is fine, right? But let's say you really want to be paranoid, you don't want to trust it. So no problem. You can in, enter your own entropy by throwing dice rolls, right? Now, the criticism of that is, while the cold card could be lying to you, right? It could be saying, hey, I'm taking these dice rolls, I'm creating a seed for you from them, but it's a lie, right? Because you're not really seeing the cold run. Now, how do you get around that uh, to prove that is not happening? So we created this little mini Python script, okay? Um, that you can run on Tails. It's like just a few lines of code, literally, and, and it's completely verifiable by anyone. Uh, and you can use other tools as well that are not this one. But so what you do is you, you open Tails, right? You have to be really careful if you're going to do this because um, uh, you will be exposing this seed to another device, okay? So let's say you have Tails running on an AirGap machine, right? And you have code card beside it. So what you do is you you throw the dice, you enter on code card each row, and at the same time you enter each row on this tool, right? And, you know, these are two separate devices running two separate code bases, right? They're different. And both will arrive at the same seed. So it proves that that seed entropy was used, sorry, that the dice entropy was used to generate that seed, right? You would not be possible for us to, to know that in advance. I see. And so how many dice rolls now would be required to make that kind of setup secure? Because like, what if the user just does like, you know, two or three dice rolls or something like they would have to do enough to make sure it's actually like sufficient entropy there, right? So, so this is the interesting game theory on this stuff. Okay. So because you're validating that that portion of the code base of the code card is actually like true and honest, right? Uh, like practically, you could use like just some roles, right, to to make sure that you added some extra entropy, uh, and that that should be enough, right, for the practical mind. Uh, if you want to be truly paranoid and and do the full entropy, it's ninety nine dice rolls, uh, which is really like just a few minutes, right? It's not the end of the world, but it's it's I, I don't believe is necessary personally. Uh, because remember, right? Even if we know part of the entropy, we would still have to figure out which of this like like theoretical table of seeds you have and then sort of figure out the entropy on top of that right and how long that entropy is like it gets pretty crazy yeah i think that makes sense to me and uh, i guess because someone who's using this they know that this is just a one-time setup they might well just do the 99 dice rolls to make it uh you know 
But what's nice, yeah, what's nice about going through the full entropy process, going through the backup recovery and all that stuff is that if you've gone through the full process, right, uh, like really, really the full process, you, you really sleep at night, right? Because there, there is no part of that that was not duplicated, verified, and, and, and tested recoverability, right? So, so there really is nothing like left in your mind in terms of concerns about your huddle. Like, remember, the idea of huddle is it's pretty hardcore. I mean, like, this is your life savings in a device, right? So, so you know, it, it's, it's also a fun process to, to go through the whole setup. But we have videos. You can sort of, like, go through step by step. It, it, it's not hard, really. It's just a time investment, right? Like, you, you can put a couple hours and be done with it. Yeah, so um, with the, some of the recent conversation around multi-signature and uh, that recent episode, uh, episode 215 with Michael Flaxman, I'm curious because you had a response thread there. So I guess going back to those ideas, what would you say you agree there or and what points would you say you disagree on? So it's kind of funny. Like in theory, I agree with everything Max says, right? Like I actually talk to him a lot. Um so, but the problem is it's it's very impractical, right, for most people, even for advanced people, right? Some parts of that setup are are like like almost on the edge of you have to be a Bitcoin programmer. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's too just deep in the in the rabbit hole. Uh, his second guide is much better, right? The ten times more security uh, uh, for I can't remember now the the name of the guide, but it's it's a good guide. Um. And it does, like, you know, increase your security a lot. Uh, I would argue even more than 10 times. Um, now, uh, again, right, I always go back to this. Uh, more complexity means more people will lose money, period. Like, that's just the nature of this stuff, right? Encryption is great when you have the keys. <laughs> when yeah. you don't have the keys, encryption sucks. So, <laughs> right so um so so you know if you can comfortably follow the, that guide by all means have fun right i mean it, it's fantastic um now some some of the things that I, I i i hear the horror stories right from support tickets because people do email us in private uh uh you know mentioning some of the the things that they come to i mean number one is fucking up backups that is for multi-sig or non-multi-sig, right? So people need to test recovering the backup before they deposit it, right? So you put a little bit of Bitcoin, right? You delete the seed, you recover the seed from your backup, and then you see that Bitcoin showed up again when you recover the seed, right? And then you try to sign it out. So if you've done the full cycle, you know that your backups work. So backup is important. Now, backup for a multi-sig is a huge problem, right? Because it's exponential. So now you have to have, um, you know, like say it's a two out of three. You have to have three separate backups. And these backups cannot be in the same location. So now you need three different locations, right? Um, now these locations have to be fought through, right? Like they cannot be easily, you cannot have two of them be easily accessible, right? It gets tricky. So what are you going to do? Are you going to encrypt those backups? Well, now they're not 
like Paper Romero anymore, right? So you're going to have to have backups of the backups and you're going to have to have backups of the encryption keys. Um, <laughs> see, like this thing gets tricky. Um, and then uh, let's say you use passphrase, right? You have to have backup of the passphrase somewhere else. Um, so, so it's amazing how many people get screwed with backups. Uh, and that's the backups of the seeds, right? I'm not even talking about backups of the wallet you use. So for single SIG, this is not as important. It's still important. Not as much today, but you should definitely do it. Is You have to have a backup of the wallet you use to generate your wallet, right? So, you know, it's Spectre, if it's uh, uh, Electrum, have a backup of the version the last known working version for you, right? Because time will pass, you will pass, and people won't know how to recover their wallet, right? They might not know the derivation paths and all that stuff. So with single sig, it's a little bit more simple, right? Because you could have just a derivation path and you're good-ish. Uh, now with multi-sig, you have to have a copy of the redeem script, right? Because the redeem script may vary, right? There might be some uh, awkward way the developer decided to write that. Uh, and that will matter. Um, with uh, legacy addresses, legacy Bitcoin, uh, you had to have the order correct of the signers uh, for for the XPubs when you're creating your your redeem script. Uh, if I'm not wrong, uh, if I remember right, uh, with uh, with at least with now with back 32 Segwit, you don't have to have the order right in most scripts. Uh, so that's a little bit better, but still. Um, you know, have a backup, a USB drive, doesn't have to be encrypted, nothing. Just put a copy of the current software you're using in it. Uh, if you're using cold card, you can export your wallet uh, a skeleton out of cold card into the microSD, encrypted or not. Uh, and, and that's enough for you for anybody to recover that in case you're not around and cannot explain. Uh, so that's a massive one for for uh multi-sig problems that we hear it's like oh i had a multi-sig on electrum five years ago i only have one backup i have two working wallets so technically i could sign but i don't know what script i use and you, you know it's it's it gets tricky uh and then you know the derivation path is important because you still need to also find the coins right uh, some wallets don't have standard derivation uh, uh, depths, right? So uh, so that could get tricky. You could simply not find the coins, even though you could sign for them. <laughs> it's quite scary, right? And I think some of these stories are, in fairness, cases of people using older software. Maybe they haven't been following the discussion as much and they're not using the latest stuff and doing the correct kind of backups and things. But I think you're right. The point is... Try to use standard setups such that you don't lose things. Uh, but I, I guess maybe for some of these people, it's that they don't know what the standard setup is. Would you say that's true or no? Well, I mean, the, the reality, the, the truth of the matter on this is that in Bitcoin, there is no, no, um, uh, there is no right way and wrong way. There is best way and worst way. Right. I mean, you're free to do whatever you want, especially as a dev. You're free to write your software however you want. If if the signature is valid to the network, well, that's all the network cares about, right? True. So uh, they they may choose to 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 do this however they want. 
Uh, and then, like, different software have different purposes, right? For example, Wasabi will have uh, non-standard derivation paths because it, it was designed for uh, for you to do uh, mixing, right? Um, you, you know, and then you have, uh, you know, like, we have standards, but, you know, they're more like guidelines, right? They're, they're not, like, a lot of these standards are not um, required standards in order for things to work. So you have to be really careful. Uh, you know, it could be that a dev, especially of a closed source wallet, could uh, could do things in a way that's non-standard and nobody would know until they go away, right? And it was not malicious or anything. It's just they thought they were doing it right. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's tricky, right? So so that's why, you know, we created uh, that uh, walletsrecovery.org. Uh, it's because we just wanted a, a repository of of like derivation paths and and ideally some notes about their script, yeah, yeah. WalletsRecovery.org is a great site, and uh, yeah. So I guess maybe talking about standards and standard setups for the typical person who's just using single signature, they, well, I guess in terms of backups, that person should have a metal seed backup for their uh, for their hardware wallet, and then they should ideally also have the, like you said, the skeleton wallet file, mm-hmm. so they can easily recover it into you know Electrum or Spectre and things like that. Um, and then they also want to think about if they've got a passphrase, is that also backed up? Uh, yeah, so, so, yeah. So what I have here on that Bitcoin security guide is, uh, so keep it simple and then, uh, learn the 10 commandments of self custody. People can go look that up later. Um, and then, so, you know, you, you get your code card, you set it up, right? Like, and you set it up with the guides that we have that explain to you everything and why. Okay, and then you get your seed plate. You mark your ten, your twenty four words. Now you have a metal backup, right? Then you get the micro SDs and you make a backup of the of the code card because that would also save the wallet details, right? So that would make a life a lot simpler in case uh, you, you need to recover uh, due to loss or breakage or theft or whatever. Um, and then if you're gonna use a passphrase, great. Uh, I recommend people using uh, choosing words from BIP39 words for their passphrase. So at least if they hit their head on a on a poll, uh, it's going to be easier for them to remember from a certain subset of words, <laughs> right? right um, yeah. And then and then have another metal backup of that passphrase in a different geographical location. Okay, anything that is a key has to have a backup. Um, yeah. And then what you do is you test everything. And then you're going to choose uh, a, a wallet, right? I recommend uh, Fully Noted, Spectre, Electrum, Blue Wallet, or Wasabi. Uh, there's a few other ones. Uh, they're, they're still sort of like growing up. Uh, but th- these are sort of fairly solid, right? Uh, and then you make a backup of those. Um, and then uh, make a, yeah, you, you make a backup of that. Uh, and then, like, the key here is after you're all set up, okay, you send a little bit of Bitcoin to the wallet. This counts for multi-sig as well. You send a little bit to the wallet, and then you delete the seed from the harder wallets. You recover the seed from your backups into the harder wallets, and then you see that the amount showed up, and then you can sign it. So if you enter that, then you're good to go, right? Like you're really, truly good to go uh, because you, you don't depend in any part of this uh, uh, 
in order to to have your funds recovered somewhere else. Right. Yeah, I think that the suggestion there to test your backup before you put in your real, you know, put in the real money is a definitely a good one. Um, I think in practice, a lot of people in the industry just started on, you know, maybe in the early days they just had like a web wallet or a phone wallet, and then they advanced up to having, say, a Trezor or a Ledger, and then. Uh, a lot of them now are trying out cold card, and then at that point, then they, you know maybe they started to learn putting on passphrases or no passphrase, um, and then yeah, potentially once they've sort of they're feeling comfortable with these things, then the next level could be to use a multi-sig setup. Where in in the example, if we're using you know Michael Flaxman's guide, you could have a cold card, a Kobo, and then the seed picker, and then I guess. What you could do is because you're using multi-sig, you could sort of say, okay, I'm going to take a few more simplified assumptions here. Like I'm not going to have a passphrase on that because I'm using multi-sig anyway. Um, and I guess what you could do is have three metal seed backups and you could keep each of those with their respective device. Again, so long as each of them is in like a safe location, maybe you've got safety deposit boxes or you have safes in you know different places. Um, and then for each location, you would obviously keep that uh, wallet backup file as well on like a USB stick with each one. So I guess that would be kind of stepping towards better practice. And then even more advanced would be stuff like passphrases and stuff like that. Um, so I guess that's kind of how I'm thinking of it in terms of progressing through the levels of self-sovereign security. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect, right? Because um, the, the beauty of this is that the first step is already secure enough for most people, right? And for, for the kind of money that these people are going to probably put in. Um, and, and like, I, I think like a good rule of thumb in, in Bitcoin is like always uh, set up your security as if the amount of Bitcoin you have is worth 10 to 50 times more, right? Because that could happen like in a few months and, and uh, and and then like you're not like scrambling right to do things fast and and sort of like like you're not in a rush because like people in a rush fucks up right um, you really you really want to sort of put the, the time and care to, to get the stuff done right absolutely so let's chat a little bit about the state of multi signature wallets what are your thoughts on the current uh, crop of multi sig wallets. Uh, I, I think, like, I, I mean, it's quite amazing how much things have progressed, right? For all the the hate on UX, I, I think things are are going uh, forward like well. Uh, multi sig is not a simple problem, even though it may look that way. Um, we used to have uh, like some reasonably good uh, multi sig wallets that are no longer around. Uh, back then and then sort of like there was this period where like the only place that you could have a like a reasonably compatible multi-sig wallet with multiple hardware wallets was Electrum. Um, Electrum is not necessarily bad. The problem with Electrum is that it's not simple and, and, and it does create room for you to fuck up. So that's why I don't like recommending it for the average person. Now, I think Spectre has done a tremendous job. Um, it's it's really good. The multi-sig is easy. Uh, this is young software, so there's still you know bugs here and there, but but they're not like money losing bugs. And, and another plus of Spectre is that is essentially uh, front end for Bitcoin Core, right? So a lot of the Bitcoin stuff is done actually on the on Bitcoin Core, 
uh, just via their API. So that's a great thing. So essentially using your own node and you're having Bitcoin Core, which is fairly well sort of research software doing a lot of the hard stuff. Um, and then uh, there is a Lily wallet. It's really cool as well. Uh, it's fairly young, right? Uh, it, it's still sort of, you could you should consider it alpha kind of thing, uh, but but it has a lot of promise. It's fantastic UI. The software is beautiful. Um, um, what else? Uh, Blue Wallet just, just started to launch something that reminds me a bit of uh, the old retired Copay Wallet. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, so Copay Wallet was surprisingly good if you didn't have too many UTXOs. Uh, then, then it was a disaster. It's, it's good that it was retired. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so Blue Wallet is doing some interesting UI stuff because another concern of multisig is coordination, right? A lot of people think like, you know, you think you multisig just for yourself, but a lot of times multisig is between you and other people. So having coordination of the multi-sig uh, assigning uh, um, ceremony, if you want to call it, uh, is very important. And I think uh, Blue Wallet is really sort of working well on that. Um, yeah, th those are the ones I have played with recently. Gotcha. Yeah, and there's, there's this interesting one, Nunchuck by Hugo uh, Nguyen. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what comes there. Oh, I'm totally looking forward to, to trying it. So another sorry another thing that's important is um, if you're gonna use a hardware wallet, like make sure the hardware wallet is PSBT compatible or at a minimum HWI compatible. Okay, uh, HWI is is a um, an Andrew Chow project to connect hardware wallets to Bitcoin Core. Okay, because hardware wallets could go away, they could choose to abandon Bitcoin, right? And and then, great, you have this this electronic device that now you cannot make it talk to your software wallet to build and sign transactions, right? <clears throat> so, I mean, it, it is my opinion that no one should be using a hardware wallet that doesn't support PSBT anymore. It's Bitcoin partially signed transaction uh, file. Uh, and uh, because, at least with that, you know that's future compatible, right? Um, you know that even if the vendor decides not to to support Electrum anymore, Electrum supports PSPT, so you're good to go, right? Uh, we really want to remove these crutches out of this project. Back to the interview in a moment, but first a message for the sponsors of the show. Check out BitcoinBlackFriday.com. This is a project from the team behind Bitcoin Magazine and the Bitcoin 2021 conference. It's a celebration of the growing Bitcoin economy. On the site, you can find active deals for up to 50% off on your favorite Bitcoin gear and other merchants that accept Bitcoin. It doesn't stop with spending Bitcoins, though. The full team has teamed up with Bitcoin Black Friday to bring you a special promo for the much-awaited Bitcoin back card. Spend fiat and earn Bitcoin. Now, if you sign up for early access for the Fold card on Bitcoin Black Friday, you will be entered into a raffle to win a whole Bitcoin. That's right. Go to BitcoinBlackFriday.com right now and sign up for the Fold Bitcoin Rewards card to enter and get a chance to win an entire Bitcoin. And lastly, CypherSafe, producing the CypherWorld product. So we're talking about Bitcoin and security this episode, but have you also considered backup and recovering your Bitcoins? Are you keeping your BIP39 seed just on that paper backup? 
well, you've got to think about whether it's fireproof and waterproof and rustproof if there were to be an accident or some other event such as that. So look into the cipher wheel. It comes in a wheel shape and it masks the words of your seed. And you get some tiles and for each of your words, you can slide in the tiles to back up your seed. And in this way, you can make sure that you or your loved ones have access to your bitcoins if an accident occurs. Orders are going out. Go to cyphersafe.io and use the code Lavera for a discount. Back to the interview. It seems to me like the industry is slowly is getting around to that message, uh, and um, certainly I'm more a lot more comfortable using PSBT wallets myself. Also, just because it's just easier to work with other pieces of software in the in the ecosystem. Um, so, in terms of hardware wallets, are you uh, bullish or bearish on QR codes? So, QRs are really cool. Right. I mean, I love QRs per se. Right. The problem with QRs is then the bandwidth. Right. The data bandwidth on QRs is garbage. It's very tiny, especially with small screens and the camera resolution. So it's actually, in my opinion, doomed for multisig uh, because you're going to need big screens and you're going to need to do uh, animated QRs to do any multi-sig work because the, the PSBT files are going to be large. And as the complexity of these multi-sig setups grow, uh, they could become even bigger, right? So then they won't fit at all on a QR that fits in a reasonably sized screen of a hardware wallet, right? Uh, so then you're stuck. Uh, and you're not necessarily gaining any more security. Uh, like QRs are not more secure than microSDs. Right, and like people love to believe that, but it's still data, right? Like you're passing around data. I could make the case that a QR is worse than a micro SD for security because at least on the micro SD, the data is visible, right? Uh, so you can see the data, um, and, and you and you can verify it. Uh, you can even sanitize that, or you can use a computer to pass that information to another microSD, or sort of like you, you can create some incentives for attackers to know that they'll be wasting their time, right? Uh, with QRs, though, you're sending the data directly to the device. And one, uh, I've seen some of the implementations around of QR stuff, they're trash. <laughs> Nobody's really checking or doing real security in the data coming through the QR. Uh, and and two, uh, actually, there was an attack, if I remember correctly, not through not Bitcoin related, but it was uh, uh, there, there were some malware uh, going through QRs uh, because, or no, actually no, it was Bitcoin. There was some attack, if I remember, it was essentially the the <laughs> because a lot of hardware, a lot of wallets out there just sort of fork source code. They they use the QR generation code that they found on GitHub, <laughs> and the, the attacker changed the 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 this this library to generate to to generate known uh, addresses that were his. Uh, <laughs> so, Ouch. so yeah, exactly right. So it's tricky, right? Because it is not visible. Humans cannot read QR codes, right? So you'd have to you want to double check that QR because you can't trust it. Um, this is not to fud it, right? Like the, the chances of some of the stuff happening, especially in hardware wallets, are much lower, right? But it, it, it sort of falls in the same category, same category as microSDs, right? It, it is air gapped, right? So microSDs and QRs are air gapped. Uh, so it, they do 
prevents synchronous attacks, right? So remote attacks. Um, you, you you still have to recover what you try to attack. Although with the QR, you could you it's kind of bad because you could send them like addresses that that are not yours, right? Um, now, uh, I still think these things are much better than USB. I mean, you like no hardware wallet should be plugged into the USB, the USB, like period. Okay, it's just it is not air gapped. It is stupid, especially if the hardware wallet doesn't have a secure element, right? You're opening yourself for for being attacked, uh, especially as the price goes up and the and the reward for the attacker grows. Uh, USB is a clusterfuck. Okay, so a few things I want to talk about there. So with the QR code, I suppose the counter argument might be, well, it may be. You know, it'll be animated GIFs and it will just, uh, even if it with a small screen, it can just still be conveyed, that info can still be conveyed uh, to, you know, between a computer and the hardware wallets using the QR codes. No, not necessarily. Um, if the transaction is big enough, not even animated would do the job. I see, yeah. And this would be like, and there's been discussion about this as well for, I think, multi-sig, where there's lots of UTXOs that are going into that transaction, making it a big one, and then therefore it's harder well, and harder to make it fit and things like that. Yeah, yeah. But remember, right, this this is exponential problem, right? So the, the, the file, it's the redeem script as well, right? It's the whole signature because you have, it's quadratic. So you have to the signature on top of a signature on top of a signature, right? So the data grows exponentially. With the... QR code, I guess the attack you were talking about, it, it maybe that's sort of analogous to a SQL injection style attack where, um, you know, uh, the, there's like a website there and people try to hack it by doing certain codes that might manipulate the database in the background and things like that. And I guess in this case, uh, the attacker might try to change the way the QR code is operating such that, you know, you're spending to their address or things like that. Uh, yeah. And, I guess it would I'd hope it would be down to whether the hardware wallet correctly shows the user, hey, I'm about to sign a transaction for you know zero point one Bitcoin to this address uh, at that point, right? It's more than that. So the attack could be happening on a website, right, where you want to send the the Bitcoin to, uh, which that that's easy that's more easier to foil, right? Because the if the hardware wallet is doing it right, they're also showing you the address. Right, the transaction you want to sign, the change output, like they're showing you all the stuff, right, for you to verify before you sign it. Yeah. Um, the problem with QRs on the other end, right? So having the QR on a hardware wallet for you to scan from another hardware wallet, for example, um, or even the the call that reads the QR, uh, you could try to one like make fake addresses show up on the hardware wallet itself, right? So deposit addresses. Um, it's tricky that way. Uh, so I, I think ultimately, like the 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 best uh, sanity check for anyone, it doesn't matter how like advanced or not you are, is before you sign a transaction, always verify the address and either verify the change address or at least make sure that you have a hardware wallet that that does that for you. Very important because there's a lot of like one of the uh, like recently there was a grief attack where you would send the change to a different address, 
right? Uh, it was a trick that they were doing because uh, BIP 143, uh, there, is a, there is an issue with uh, PSBT and a flaw on how um, uh, SegWit addresses are signed. So you could, you could essentially reconstruct a PSBT with two signatures uh, and sort of show a, 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 a fake, a fake a, a somebody else's uh, uh, change address and it would still sort of look valid. Yeah, scary stuff. But I think again, these some of these are kind of more in the, you know, the edge case. Yes, kind of. they totally are, and that's why I'm saying, right? Like, you're you're pretty safe if your device, like, it's sort of like think of them as like uh, that's why the, the whole Bitcoin uh, Ten Commandments uh, uh, of self custody. Uh, it's like there's just basic things you do, right? And, and you're like ninety nine 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 percent safer, right? It's like just check backups. Check stuff before you sign, right? Uh, don't plug the device on a computer. Like, you, you know, in order for somebody to foil those very basic things, they have to be like like nation states, NSA level people, right? Like, they, and, and they would probably need to have physical access to your house, right? So you, you can get to that level with very little effort. Just, just, just do the basics. And so, in terms of hardware wallets over the next couple of years, I guess you're seeing it like it's not like every, it's not like we're all going to become QR code maximalists, but it's more going to be more like maybe people who want to do multi-sig will use some combo of different wallets, and some of them might be QR codes, and some of them might offer SD card, uh, and that's kind of how you see it developing. Yeah. So. Uh... You know, having QR codes and cameras do increase the cost, right? Uh, you you cannot make a physically secure device that is truly open source, you know, and sell for less than say two hundred fifty or like three hundred fifty three hundred dollars, right? Um, so, uh, you know, cheaper devices that that offer all the things, you know, it gets tricky, right? <laughs> it's like you you're kind of getting what you pay for. Uh, and then, uh, and then, you know, and then depends on also on architecture on how people are doing the, the, like the, the, the openness of their wallet. Uh, and, uh, and then, you know, like, I don't believe QR codes are super future proof, uh, in the same way that I think micro SDs are. But, you know, I think that you should just support both, right? Like, uh, ideally, you have a, a wallet that does both. Um, and then, um, you know, you want wallets that don't support shit coins. Um, I, I think that uh, the, the, touch, uh, the touch screen FUD is, a, is completely overblown. You know, it's totally like the level that you have to be in if you're doing the touch screen right for you to attack it is is too high so like it's totally fine to have uh, touch screens um and uh and then you can have two devices right like you can have like a, a device that's like super simple like cold card mark three that that does essentially like it's completely sanitized the things that could be a, an attack vector and and you can also have you know some other device that does qrs right like uh you want to with complexity comes more attack surface, right? So if you're going to have devices that do more things, you have to know that they're coming from people that 
you know, you trusted before, if security and, you know, it's tricky. You don't want to trust anyone, uh, but uh, you can definitely leverage some trust heuristics, right? Uh, to, to be more practical and know what parts are worth verifying. Yeah, sure. And, and maybe that um, we see more of a range of different options too. So there may be some that are kind of more at the low end. And then as you were saying that, you know, if you wanted to make the kind of device with all the bells and whistles and that might cost 300 or 350 US dollars. Well, for someone who's storing, you know, millions of dollars, that's, that might well, that might be well worthwhile for them to have multiple of those kinds of devices, right? Well, I mean, there's people who who's store tens of millions of dollars in paper wallets, right? Um, and, you know, I've I've seen people with millions of dollars in open dimes. You know, I really don't recommend that. <laughs> um, I've, I, I, you know, there's lots of people uh, who store like fortunes on cold cards, right? Like it, it's, uh, I, I think what's important here is as your holdo grows, you need to sort of like do your own research, right? You have to figure out and you, and you have to try to really remove the, the points of, of, of failure, right? Like the single points of failure from, from your setup. Um, one thing that I find cool is that have once a year, um, a little sort of like a tradition of, of double checking your backups, for example, right? Yeah. Double check that they're still there, that that your electronic backups, not just for Bitcoin, right? For everything, really. Double check that the things are still sort of recoverable. <laughs> uh, because backups are not useful if they're not recoverable. Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, you might find that, you know, the... Yeah, the the USB drive has gone bad or something has gone wrong with it. And yeah, certainly you want to you wanna be regularly testing those things. Um Anything you can tease in terms of upcoming cold card stuff? Um, so we we are working on a, you know on more devices, right? Like that never ends for us. Um, we you know we took a little block lock mini detour there. Uh, that <laughs> I don't know why we make those products. Um, <laughs> like I mean they're super fun, right? Like they sell and all that, but like they, it's amazing how much like this kind of stuff really like detracts, right? Um, so, uh, so we do, so our plan is to have, uh, like cold card Mark three or some revision of it as is because it is freaking secure, right? Like it's super secure device. So, um, we don't believe it needs too much change. It'd be always fun to sort of make some upgrades here and there. Uh, but we believe a device around that price point is important to be around forever. Uh, and then we're building a sort of like a, a Cadillac kind of thing, right? Uh, where you'd have all the fun features. It's a product that's been sort of in the making for a long time, sort of as a side internal project. Uh, I hope that, uh, who knows, maybe uh, late next year or something you'd see it. Uh, this this device would be, uh, be pretty cool. Uh, awesome. But- yeah, but you know, but we want to focus on the stuff that people are using of ours and sort of get that maintained and 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 well featured. Of course, yeah. No, I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan as well. And uh, oh yeah, listeners, if you're not aware, make sure you use my code Lavera when you're on CoinKite.com. Um, and also wanted to, wanted to chat about the Block Clock Mini. So I've ordered mine. Tell us a little bit about it. Oh, you haven't got yours yet, oh, man. So uh, 
Um, so, you know, many people who listen to the show probably know the original block clock. Uh, some refer as the OG block clock. Uh, it was sort of like an electrical mechanical uh, uh, device to, to display Bitcoin data, right? And price and, and uh, use the, those digits that you find in train stations. Uh, it, was, it was fun, uh, but it was a bit on the pricey side. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> it was like 10k wasn't it <laughs> five five thousand oh 5k 5k you know it's, it's like hand, it's like handmade and like you know we went sort of like listen we want to make the ultimate device for bitcoin 10 year anniversary right yeah yeah uh, so we've we've been sort of like as a side project we, we were sort of trying to come up with something again uh novel right because it's it's easy to make a screen that shows data right uh, so we wanted something a little bit more, uh, more, more novel. Uh, and, uh, we've been playing with, uh, with e-ink displays. So we, we've decided to make uh, another data display, another sort of a Bitcoin, uh, um, device, uh, that this one sort of uses, uh, seven e-ink displays, uh, beside each other. And they can all be used as like sort of single digits to show price big or, uh, you can have like the you you can have um, all the block data, the height and the difficulty, and uh, we're gonna be adding sort of like more APIs. And uh, this device also has a USB port for you to plug open dimes, and you and it's really cool because you can check the value, you can initialize them, you can verify them. So if you're using it as like a, a, you know, if you have kids and it's like their piggy bank, you can just plug it in to check the balance. That's very cool. Yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to getting mine. Yeah, it, uh, it's uh, it's 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 pretty. It's a pretty device. Uh, that that was the idea. It's like a sort of like an artistic piece in a way. Yeah. So it's got uh, how many digits does it have? I'm just wondering uh, uh, when uh, roughly when we'll need to get a new one or it's planned obsolescence, right? You said seven. Yes, has seven digits. So that that that's good till uh, what a mil or just a or yeah 10? next year next year yeah. good, good next year next yeah year. Um, <laughs> just in case this is an actual concern for some people uh, we actually have to deal with those problems already right so for example if you use Japan yen um, you know we have to show big numbers so the the clock knows how to change it in into other forms of of uh, number. So we can show meals. Uh, we can, you know, we can use. Uh, there is some um, uh, uh, scientific notations there. There's some options that solve a lot of those problems. Nice, nice. Yeah, uh, and also we've got a chat about Bitcoin Treasuries, which is a great website. Tell us how you got that idea. So, um, you know, I, I started to see like all, all this these updates, right, of companies. Starting to, you know, you, you always had GBTC, and you know those are not necessarily treasuries, but you know it's 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 non-ignorable sums of Bitcoin, right? Uh, I think there are four or six billion worth of BTC now, um, and uh, uh, and then when MicroStrategy announced uh, their hodl, which is also not unignorable. Uh, I was very curious if there was a place for me to to keep track of this, right? I wanted to be able to just go look, and among other like other indicators that I want to know about their those those companies. So hey, you know what what do you do when you can't find something? You make it yourself, right? <laughs> 
Yeah, and you're you're uh, just like our friend uh, Matt O'Dell. You're a bit of a domain name guy. You love to hoard the domain. Hoddle, you love to hoddle domain names. Oh yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's fun. It's fun to have uh, Bitcoin domains. Um, it, it's also good for memeing, right? Like I get tired of of like repeating myself on Twitter. So you can just go like you know everything is good for Bitcoin dot com. You know, like Bitcoin fixes everything dot com. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah, I think it's very cool. And uh, what we're going to see is a lot more companies uh, joining that list, I'm sure. So what kind of criteria do you have? Does, do they need to be public companies or is there kind of like a certain minimum threshold? Otherwise, you're just going to have companies who are saying, oh, yeah, we've got like six Bitcoins. Let's, right. Can you put us on the list? Yeah, so so this actually happened. So, um, so I started with this with only publicly traded companies, right? And, and I had an explanation of why not Tahini's, right? Uh, and uh, the the thing about public companies is that the information is public, right? And they're liable for it. So sure, there is some accounting lying that, you know, public companies do. Hello, Enron. <laughs> Hello, Enron. Um, but, you know, but at least it's a heuristic, right? Like you have something that like I can trust-ish, right? At least for a non, like a, a for entertainment purposes website. So... Uh, so public traded company is great and it's really cool because you also have uh, uh, access to very easy to their market capitalization. So, you know, the percentage of the holdout versus their, their size of the company. Uh, so, so that part is really fun. Uh, so I added, you know, the, the ones, the public traded companies that were available that had it. And there's quite a few actually, um, and quite a few actually in, in, uh, in Canada, uh, and I think a couple in Australia, uh, Canada uh, has a, a very um, interesting, is a polite way of saying how the stock, uh, the, how companies are, public company uh, uh, companies are open in Canada. Most of the time, they're reverse takeovers for for that. Um, so anyway, so so you know, listed them, they're all there, um, and then uh, and then there is all the ETF like products, right? I call them ETF like. Uh, so Grayscale, uh, CoinShares, i3Q, uh, UTC Group, and some other one there. Uh, those uh, those are sort of like, uh, you know, they, 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 they have a claim on BTC on your behalf, right? They don't necessarily even have the BTC on, custo on custody, I think, some of them. Uh, it's called uh, uh, Assets Under Management. Um, but the amounts are very big, and most of those do have also public numbers. So fun to fun to show, right? And then uh, and then there were other sort of like three companies that that uh, had uh, you know like trustworthy, like they're private companies. So you know you have to take it with a grain of salt. But these are big sort of trusting ish companies that, or at least you know they had to to do some. Uh, uh, certified accounting uh, for the shareholders, and they make that public. Uh, so I, I created a little. Uh, um, the threshold for a private company is fifty million dollars worth of Bitcoin, uh, and they have to pass the smell test. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Even though one of them is, I think, the Tezos Foundation, right? I mean, like clearly a scam, but a legal scam. Uh, <laughs> And it's funny, right, that they hold a ton of BTC. They they have three hundred million dollars worth of BTC. 
uh, and uh, there is block one. I can't even remember what scam that one was, but you know they they have uh, like almost two billion dollars worth of BTC. Yeah, that's crazy, right? And I mean, I mean the cool yeah the cool thing is you show the basis price, what they paid for it, and then what it's worth today. So really, if if you send people there, it can really drive some FOMO, hey. Yeah, so so that was like my 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 first like need was for me to see it, right? To to have a place that tracks it. <laughs> the second purpose was to create FOMO, right? You know, it's a tiny little website on the internet, but hey, you know, it's uh, uh like competitive people need scoreboards, right? <laughs> so uh you, you know, you want a place for these guys to go and see, hey, you know, I'm not on the scoreboard or I clearly have too little, right? This is, and, and there's a reason why this, this, this is the reason why the, 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 this is sorted by total, today's total value, right? It's like today's total amount of Bitcoin that these companies have. That's the sorting there. Um, and then to the right of that, it shows the percentage of all Bitcoin that they have. So MicroStrategy cool. is at uh, a two basis point, a respectable two basis point there. Yeah, so they've got 38,250 Bitcoins and it's 0.182% of all Bitcoins. That's is right. that all, of all Bitcoins that will ever exist or the current? Uh, the, the total that the will it. ever exist. Of the 21 million, yeah, or That's just under. Yeah, right. So listeners, you can go to bitcointreasuries.org if you want to see this one. Um, but yeah, that's a very cool one. So uh, Rodolfo, do you have any predictions on what companies might be next out of the big ones? So I I think uh, like a, a much more important uh, announcement than MicroStrategy was to the actual like uh, uh, markets was the 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 Square uh, white paper, right? Because you know MicroStrategy is cool and all, but you know. He he's gonna be considered sort of like a a, a smart lunatic, right? Uh, <laughs> and uh, you know this is and most companies don't have cash either, right? So they they don't have that kind of treasury percentage, anyways. Uh, but what Square did though is super important. This is this is a monster, right? I mean, like Square is like seventy billion dollars company. Uh, and that's not to count Twitter, which is sort of sister company too, right? So uh, Square buying even just one basis point uh, in in Bitcoin, but r with the kind of pool that they have, create the framework for other public traded companies to buy Bitcoin is a big deal. That that investment white paper that they created is a very big deal, uh, and and what I think people may not know is that the way these public companies work is like it's slow right for them to sort of do things especially like reg regulatory side uh the paper does accelerate but we probably won't see um companies like a large amount of them doing this like buying bitcoin on their treasuries up until unless the price goes crazy right uh if, if bitcoin price is like you know, fifty thousand dollars next week. We're gonna probably see a like <laughs> like a wave of that coming. <laughs> but you know, if the price just if the price keeps on sort of like kind of itching up, inching up, these guys are gonna take their time, and, and you know, we're gonna probably see this stuff on like either Q4 this year, like late Q4, or maybe Q2 next year. 
uh, you'll take them a bit of time to sort of catch up. And then you're going to start seeing them trickling in. And then the FOMO is going to really build. Um, yeah, and I think the other important factor is corporate DCA, right? Just regular buying of company, like companies who are buying Bitcoin regularly. So I imagine Square, they're probably not finished with buying Bitcoin, right? Yeah, no, I, I mean, like, and, and it's very possible that they're not even buying on the on the market, right? Like maybe they're just buying from their users they're selling to, right? Um, it, it's a much cheaper way for you to accumulate is, is to, is to, then you're not, you're avoiding external fees, right? Um, so you buy on the behalf of the user, but when the users decide to sell, then you take it off their hands, right? It just goes back into this pool. I, I, I don't know. I, I haven't looked enough at how they are, they're doing their, their treasuries and, and, and like how they're managing the BTC of the users either to, to, to have an answer here. But, uh, are you going to see a lot of that? Um, and, uh, um, I, I think the main difference now than than the last bull run is like you know last bull run was essentially like you know Joe with a hundred bucks buying Bitcoin right uh, when you have like large companies and publicly traded companies coming into this space you know it's a one of their purchase is equivalent to all the retail that came in last time at the same time. <laughs> yeah like all of it right like it's like these guys can move what all the joes did that day you know in a single day plus right uh i think sailor was mentioning that you don't move the market buying less than you know 70 million dollars or something per day yeah it's wild to think about and that's so i guess for these guys yeah and do you see it like well, okay, I think at some point we're going to see the whole corporate-level FOMO. Uh, so I wonder, are some of these corporates actually going to be really weak hands relative to some of the more hardened individuals in the space? I don't know. I don't know. It, uh, I, I don't think it's a B. So you depend on their corporate structures, right? Because it's not that simple. On on this kind of like very complex uh, entities, you know most uh, most publicly traded companies, the CEO don't have don't have the kind of power that you know Sailor does or that Jack does inside their companies, right? Uh, they can't just do whatever they want, so they might have uh, in place some policies about cutting losses, right? So so. Might, that might actually dampen uh, uh, some of the some of the the the, the volatility uh, because you see those just happening, right? Um, so that's one thing. Uh, depending on the timing, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, if 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 some of these companies, like, let's say, I don't know, like. Uh, Let's say another company comes in, buys five, ten percent of their treasury in 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 Bitcoin, right? You know, and they they necessarily they're not a Bitcoin believer. They don't care about Bitcoin, right? It's just another asset that looks right, and you buy it, right? Yep. Uh, if 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 they are sort of like forced to hold that with like nice appreciation, right? Uh, you know, in Bitcoin terms, slow. Uh, so. Is doubling every year kind of thing, right? 
uh, they probably wouldn't uh, they probably wouldn't touch it, right? Especially if it's only five percent uh, of their holdup. Now, if a company like that finds itself in a position where that ten percent they have of treasury now goes a hundred x, and that becomes bigger, right? Then their actual treasuries, uh, the, the other ninety percent of the company's uh, uh, balance sheet, uh, it's very likely they would at least liquidate half. Because, like you know, these guys are not like believers. They're not just like that's just prudent, right? In in their minds, right? Uh, they'll real, they'll rebalance it back down. They probably would have some policy to handle that. But, but I think what's going to happen is you're going to see just like, there'll be the growing pains, right? Of, of like public and large entities learning how to deal with Bitcoin on the balance sheet. It's not a simple problem when it's not your personal cash, right? Your personal cash is easy, right? Like, you know, it sucks. You feel your gut wrench. Maybe you shit your pants, right? When the Bitcoin price like completely like flattens, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, like it hits the ground it's like you know after a bull run right like you know that's just a personal vomit situation right like and it's your own personal choice on how to handle that now when it's a a, a large company or whatever that has like responsibility toward their, their employees and all the all the, and the creditors and everything else like they're gonna have to have ways of dealing with that with that volatility or or that possible maybe not daily volatility but like uh this sort of like long-term uh, uh crash cycles right uh, they're gonna probably have to figure out how to deal with that it's not a simple problem yeah and uh i mean it also does depend on um you know how crazy the cycles get and whether this is the uh, you know the final cycle now i think it's unlikely but uh I guess uh, that that's uh, my recent discussion with Preston uh, reminded me of that as well. What's your view on kind of uh, what's the earliest you could sort of see it uh, happening, and like the latest that you could see that idea of uh, the hitting that that just that knee of the S curve, um, right. such that you so, know the four year cycles. Yeah, I, I so I don't buy the final cycle um, theory just because. Uh, I don't think the the MMT people are dumb. I think they're very misguided, evil, or whatever, right? But I mean, j just think about this, right? Like, it, it's like it's like a, it's a very evil, but one of the wonders of the world what they managed to to do for the world not to end after two thousand and eight, right? I mean, you know they they completely rebalanced, right? Like the, the purchasing power, like they, they screwed poor people, but they didn't cause wars, right? Uh, it, you know, I completely disagree with how everything was managed, right? And we're going to pay for all that in long term and these guys are playing a different time scale. But you can't deny, right, that they managed to keep the world from ending. Uh, and, and that took a lot of skill. So... Um, I think with the amount of cash, the amount of power these guys have, uh, if Bitcoin looks like it's entering a kind of like a final cycle kind of situation, I think they can do a lot to control that. It, it, it could be a, a slow boiling frog situation, right? That's where you end up, where they they can just manage it. 
in, instead of just letting it go so that at least they save their asses on on two three election cycles right um and and i think most western countries can save one or two election cycles even in a sort of end of the world situation financially um you know, you can always invite another country. <laughs> go steal their <laughs> shit, right? Like, I mean, this is not new, right? Like, <laughs> go drop some bombs, man. It's like, you know, they'll find a way, right? Um, <laughs> like, these guys, distracted. these guys are not going down quiet, right? This is what I think maybe people miss. Right? This, this, is, this is not going to be pain-free. Um, so anyways, um, I... And and I think uh, even though like you know I don't hear chatter anymore between like large older holders uh, about like sort of like selling price uh, uh, selling price right so like people used to have especially back in the days so, oh if it reaches X amount I'm gonna probably liquidate you know ten twenty percent whatever it was right. So that, you know, I can sort of mitigate some of the Bitcoin risk, right? Because if you've been in Bitcoin for long enough, you remember when Bitcoin was definitely an experiment that will probably end. And then slowly switching to my end, may not end, it's not likely to end, right? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, people sort of had different risk profiles through this time. So I think a lot of these old coins uh, uh, that were like going to be sold have been already sold at the last cycle, right? That's when you had like individuals dumping $100 million of personal Bitcoin so that they could, you know, buy a lot of Lamborghinis. Um, <laughs> so uh, I, I think that phase of Bitcoin, you know, there's always going to be some, but I think that phase of Bitcoin uh, in terms of like like a large amount is sort of done now, right? Uh so, so that's one interesting heuristics that's an interesting thing because there's means there's going to be a lot less Bitcoin available, right, uh, uh, to buy. Now, this Bitcoin might come back uh, as through loans, right? So these guys might be taking Bitcoin-backed loans, right? So their coins might actually be coming back into the market rehypothecated, re 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 right? Uh, and it might show up on the exchanges as, as liquidity. I don't know. Uh, I'd guess some of that will happen. Um, but uh, so anyway, so so what I think is going to like, it's more likely to happen is we're going to have a run up. It's going to be some absurd number. And then if we don't have a new uh, wave of entities, right, for that size now, so like a lot of public companies or just like very large private funds or uh, some sovereigns coming in to pick up some of that, you might have like an awesome, you know, an awesome crash. <laughs> like <you> know, <laughs> Bitcoin is like, you know, say not even too crazy, right? So like $150,000, it crashes all the way down to 25, right? <laughs> yeah. And then Peter Schiff will come out and say, oh, look, Bitcoin is dead, guys. <laughs> that's right, right? Uh, I, I think that's, that's, that's a very possible scenario. But again, because it's a very possible scenario, it's it's already in the models that people are building on how they want to trade it out, right? So it might not happen that way just because. Um, it's uh, it's impossible to know. Uh, it's just it's just interesting to see. Um, you know, as usual, if you're day trading Bitcoin and you're not like a really really good at that, you're gonna probably lose money. So 
you know, just buy Bitcoin and uh, and hold all. That's right. Stack them and hold. So uh, listeners, make sure you follow Rodolfo on Twitter at NVK and uh, go to coinkite.com. Uh, and uh, Rodolfo, anything else you want the listeners to know? No, I, I think uh, I think it's mostly it. Like, uh, just follow me on Twitter, and uh, you know, go check out our products like Open Dime and Cold Card and Seed Plate and Block Clock Mini, and uh, and there is more coming. I want your sats. <laughs> <laughs> awesome! Thanks for joining me. Hey, thank you. So get the show notes at stefanlevera.com slash two two four. I'll have some of the links there that we discussed today. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels. Mm-hmm.